He's the Lord of our life that we come to church and we don't sing. It amazes me that if we come to church and we don't sing and lift up the name of Jesus who's died on the cross, I'd have to say there's something wrong with our heart. Okay, I'm just going to say that right out now because it relates to the majesty of God and the awesomeness of God. And if you have a child and you get this baby and you're like, oh, you know, look at my baby, look at the photos, look at this, oh, isn't it amazing, look, and oh, look, and now they're kind of crawling and making all these noises and all this kind of stuff. You want to share it with people. And why you would not want to praise the maker of heaven and earth who has made you, I don't know. Okay, so I'm just going to throw that one in for free. And Anyway. <clears throat> anyway, let's just pray. Let's just pray. Father God, we just thank you that you are the God who is above all things. You are the name above all names. That you are present in this place and we pray for freedom in this place this morning that where the spirit of the Lord is there is liberty. And we pray for that continuing freedom this morning. We pray this morning that your name will be lifted up. We pray this morning that we will see God for the first time. That you will remind us of your awesomeness. That you will remind us of your majesty. That this morning, that you would take our view, our small view of ourselves, and lift our eyes to the maker of heaven and earth. Come, we pray, by the power of your Holy Spirit. Father God, I pray that you would use me, that you would speak through me, that I pray that I would not get in the way of you, but that as you've made me in your image, give me personality, that you would use me to be faithful to your word, that we might hear from you clearly. Would you please come that we might delight in you, that we might savour you, Jesus. Just wait on the Lord just for a moment. I'm just going to ask the Holy Spirit now just to open our eyes. And our hearts will, the Holy Spirit is moving very powerfully even now. Even now, prepare us for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we're going to be looking. I haven't even started, and this is actually. You know, I don't know if other people sense this. The real sense of God moving already here. It's incredible. Okay, Philippians 4. If you've got a Bible, okay, there's not going to be anything on the screen. So I'd encourage you, if you don't have a Bible, bring a Bible to church. If you forgot your Bible today, don't feel bad. But you might be sitting next to a Christian who has a Bible. And they might be very nice and share with you in Christian brotherly or sisterly love their Bible. Okay, so just to check that there's no heresy going on here this morning. But Philippians 4, 4 to 9. Okay, we're going to just read uh, a few verses and then just let this kind of seep, seep into your very being. Rejoice in the Lord always, I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, Present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
Let's just begin this morning by thinking about a couple of questions, okay? And this is kind of where we're going this morning. This is the kind of two key areas that we're going to be thinking about. Okay, if, you, if I come off track or whatever, remember these are the kind of areas that we're going to pull out of the text. Okay, so firstly, what or who are we rejoicing in? What or who are we rejoicing in? Secondly, how does prayer shape the way that we understand God and ourselves? How does prayer shape the way that we understand God and ourselves. Firstly, let's look in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, and I will say it again, rejoice. Verse 5, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Okay, so in this passage, we're going to put it in context because the Bible's written in time and space and history. We're not just plucking out verses. This is written in a given time. And Paul finds himself in a prison cell writing to the church in Philippi. That's the setting, okay? Let's kind of use our imagination here this morning. We imagine Paul, he's sitting in a prison cell, he's throwing that ball up against the wall, you know, like they do in films in prison cell or whatever, whatever the equivalent is. And here he is, and he's in this prison cell, and he's writing to the church in Philippi, who are also facing persecution. Okay, so there's not a real party going on here. This is not kind of like, hey, you know, this is really cool, you know, like... Paul is not sitting in a hotel writing an email on his phone while sitting in the hot tub saying, oh man, this ministry stuff is great. There's so much, so much blessing and wealth for me. You know, he's sitting in prison writing this letter to the church in Philippi who are also under persecution, facing persecution because they believe in Jesus and they stand up for the name of Jesus. And so he says... In this situation, dear Church of Philippi, it's really terrible because I don't seem to be blessed at the moment. It's really terrible because my ministry isn't going very well. It's really terrible because I don't seem to sense the Lord is around because I'm in this prison cell and the Lord wouldn't want me to be in prison, would he? No, he says, rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say, rejoice. That's incredible, isn't it? How countercultural and even countercultural to some of the things in our age that talk about what ministry should be about. Because here is Paul in prison for his faith. It's not because he stole someone's donkey, he's in prison because for his faith, because he stood up for the name of Jesus. And the church, as we picture this in our mind, okay, the reality of the church is that here they were facing persecution. It wasn't like, oh, you're a Christian, you're stupid. It wasn't that. It was, you're a Christian. Okay, right, well, what we're going to do is we're going to put you on this kind of like human candle and we're going to burn you at the bottom of our garden just so that you light up our garden. Just for the fun of it, we're going to burn you for your faith. That's what they were facing. And so what Paul is saying, and he's probably imagining in his mind as he's writing this letter to the people in Philippi, here are these people who are at the bottom of the garden, who are burning for their faith, who are facing persecution, that are being put in prison for their faith. And he's saying, rejoice, rejoice in the Lord. The Lord is near. Rejoice. The Lord is near as you sit in your prison cell. Rejoice as you take a punch. Rejoice as the stone gets thrown at your head. Rejoice as you get beaten up once again. Rejoice, the Lord is near. And this morning, 
we all come to some extent bruised, hurting, broken. And yet Paul, as he said to the church in Philippi, says to us, rejoice. Not only that, he says, the Lord is near. And so as we come to church and we might say, you know, well, if I could just get this sorted out and if that could just be removed in my life and if I could just have this or I could just have that, and then I'll maybe worship Jesus. He says, rejoice. Rejoice. No matter what your circumstances are, rejoice. Turn to him. Okay, now this is important in understanding prayer. Because there's no point us coming and praying, or we probably wouldn't want to pray if we have these blockages in our life, as it were, that say, oh, I just want to rejoice in myself. Or I want to rejoice in other things other than God. And so Paul was encouraging the church to rejoice in the Lord. Now let's think about this in terms of our culture just a little bit wider. We can rejoice in all kinds of things. We can rejoice in our jobs. We can rejoice in our family. We can rejoice in relationships, in TV, a whole host of things. We can rejoice in Facebook. Would we ever get to that magical 5,000 friends on Facebook where Facebook says, sorry, you're so popular, you can't have any more friends because you're becoming like some kind of institute. Will we ever make the 5,000 friends on Facebook? Will we ever get an instant message back on the MSN? Will we have more friends than anyone else at school or at work? Will we be more popular? We desire a comfortable life. I mean, we maybe wonder if people will love us, or even in our culture, whether we can become famous. Have you noticed that about our culture? What is really important, where you're really going in culture these days in our society, is if you're famous... So life is all about fame. It's all about celebrity. And one of the reasons I think that is, is because we're all drawn to worship somebody or something. So if we're not worshipping God, we'll begin to worship Justin Bieber or Lady Gaga or or, or Brad Pitt or whoever. We'll, We'll begin to worship somebody because we're made to worship. And so we see it in our culture that people think that money and fame will bring a reality to their life, a joy to their life. They'll, they'll find joy in that. And you might say, well, you know, we're not like that. Over 18 many, million people, including many of us, tuned in to watch the X Factor final and the X Factor to see that these contestants who would win, maybe the one person who would win that £1 million record contract... And, you know, it's, it's funny, isn't it, in, in the X Factor, because people are going through and they go through the rounds and say, oh, this, this would just change my life forever. Oh, if I could just win the X Factor, my life would be turned around. And then you see the sad character that's like, I can't believe it, I've lost, my, my life is over. My life is over. I, 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 I'm out of the X Factor. What am I going to do with my life? What are you going to do with your life? Get a life. Many of us watch to see those who might supposedly have their lives changed overnight. Many of us know Russell Brand, the uh, presenter and comedian and now attempting to do a bit of acting. And uh, he talks about the futility of fame. He says, growing up in Essex, I thought I wanted to be famous. But now I am famous. What does it mean? Ashes in the mouth so our pursuit of what we think will bring joy 
outside of God will be like ashes in the mouth. Or if I could just kind of, you know, get a bit tipsy, get a bit drunk, be part of the crowd, be one of the lads, be one of the girls. Or if I could just kind of get that promotion at work, if I could just get that car, if I could just somehow get that holiday, if I could just get that new iPad, because the new advert's really good and it makes me feel I really need that iPad. If I could just have that, my life would be complete. And what Russell Brand says in terms of fame and popularity and all these things, it's like ashes in the mouth. It's temporary. It's gone. It's fickle. So we're to rejoice in the Lord, but this means that we know God through the person of Jesus. We are to delight in Jesus, not in things or even the things that Jesus will give us, but to delight in Jesus. We're to rejoice in the Lord. And when we learn to enjoy God, this shapes our perspective no matter what our circumstances that we face today. When we rejoice and enjoy God and know the love of the Father, we will be able to face all kinds of circumstances. We begin to see that we have a hope in Christ, that he's not just about things. And when we seek after God, we can sense that he's near. But we need to seek him. You might say, oh, well, I don't really know if God exists. I don't really know if Jesus is who he says he is. Well, have we been seeking him? Have we prayed to him? You know, before I became a Christian, I spent probably about a year agonizing, saying, God, if you're there, God, if you're real, I want to know you're true. I want to know that Jesus, you died on the cross and rose again. I don't just want to know about that. I want to know it. I want to know it's real in my heart and in my mind and in my life. Have we prayed and said, God, if you're real, Jesus, if you died and rose again, I want to know you. Because that's how we know that God is near. When we face different circumstances, do we turn them to prayer and say, I will seek God, even though this is hard, even though this hurts, even though this is painful, I will seek him and will know he's near. I don't know if God's near right now. Well, have we been praying to him? I don't know if God's right, really close right now. Well, have we been seeking him? Because that's, it's, not that, it's not rocket science. It's about us praying and seeking him and seeking after his heart. Third point, there are some points. The third point is that prayer helps us gain the perspective, the right perspective as we align ourselves to God and his kingdom. Okay, we're going to do a little bit of mental gymnastics here right now. I know it's like just turned afternoon, 12 o'clock. And um, so I want us to really, you, you can feel like you can rub your brain a bit if you want to really. But just to kind of want to really kind of go a little bit deeper here in terms of stretching us to think about the majesty of God and what's going on when we pray. Okay, so let's think about this from two specific perspectives. Okay, now I just this is really good stuff by the way, okay. If in case you get oh, this is gonna be boring, this is rubbish. I think it's really good stuff, okay. It's good for the soul, okay, so it's gonna give us perspective. Okay, this is what we want to do. We want to chew on the word, don't we? And let it feast feast on it, not just having Pringles and wanting more once you pop you can't stop. Okay, so firstly, 
Two perspectives. The first perspective of reality is this. That we live in time and space and history. Where we are right now, this is time, space and history. This is it. Okay, so we live in 2011. That's time. There's history. There's been two world wars. We can rattle off all kinds of things. Okay, there's space. We see the stars and stuff around us. We're part of a galaxy. This is reality. We're part of time and space and reality. That's one perspective. Okay, so Paul, when he was writing this letter, was part of time and space and reality. We are part of time and space and reality in 2011. The second perspective is this. Okay, now, we've really got to get hold of this in order to understand the way that prayer works. The second perspective is this. It's about eternity. So God is outside of time and space and history. Okay, he's not bound by the UK, the universe, our time kind of parameters. He's not bound by that. He's outside of time, space and history. Yet he can enter into time, space and history. So that means that there's an otherness about God. So for some of us who might say, well, I don't know if God can help me here. I don't know if Jesus really is a saviour. Well, the reality is he's not just like us. There's an otherness to God. He's out of this reality that we know, but he's also able to enter into this reality. N.T. Wright in his his book, um, Future Hope, I think it is, he says that Jesus stands at the, the control room, if you like, and looks over time, space, and history, and can enter into time, space, and history. And that's important when we come to pray, because when we pray, we're not just praying within our own framework. We're not just saying, okay, Father, just help me, okay. Because when we do that, if we only have a limited perspective of what life is about in reality, then we limit God. We're basically saying that God is like a, a, a deist, that he has no opportunity to enter into our world, into time and space and history. Let me give you an illustration, okay. If, if you may have got this, you may not, okay. And 12 o'clock on Sunday morning may not. So I'm going to illustrate this a bit more, okay, in terms of prayer, okay, and what's going on when we're told to pray. Imagine that we were born in this room. All of us here right now, we were born in this room. And this building is all we ever knew. We eat here, we live here, we study here. This building is our life. Okay, now maybe some of the stewards think that kind of way. Hopefully not. But some in the room may say that, hey, guess what? I know we've kind of lived here all our lives and we've sat on these blue chairs and we've gone out to the cafe and helped ourselves to this thing called cappuccino. Where did that word come from? Cappuccino. So we kind of, we, and we have a drink and we go and, and, you know, there's toys and the kids we have, they go and play with the toys and this is our reality. But guess what? Somebody told me that outside that door, there's these things called cards. And outside that door, there's, there's, there's things called oceans and, and there's boats and the boats go on the ocean and, and, and there's planes and there's plane? What, what else a plane? What, you know, and basically people tell us of this world that is outside that door but we don't know about that world because this is our only world. We've been born here, we eat here, we study here and we sit on these blue chairs here and this is our reality. But imagine one day at the back door, the front doors, the doors are opened, the sunlight comes in 
and, we, and somebody says, come out here. There's another world out here. Come on, come in. Come, come and see, come and see. And we go out and we see the, the cars, we see the planes, we see the, we see the boats, we see all the kind of things that people have been alluding to. Now what this is about is this, is that when we live in this reality here, this isn't just all there is. There is another kingdom, there is another reality, there is another world. And that world is shaped by God. Knowing God is to like have the, the doors of our heart and mind flung open. And for the sun to seep in. For Christ himself to open our eyes to this outer, bigger reality that is beyond us. And to say that we can know him and have this fullness of life. That he can shape who we are and we can know him. Now the only way that's going to happen is if we're open to the fact that there is a reality outside. And that he can come in and his Holy Spirit can open our eyes and our ears. And that he can come in amazingly and live in our hearts and minds through the power of the Holy Spirit. So when we think of prayer, we must realise that the God we're praying to is eternal. He's always been and he always will be. He's outside of time, that he's majestic, that he's awesome, that he's massive. It's not just kind of like some kind of areas in, in America where it's like, hey, Jesus is my buddy, you know, just kind of, he just kind of hangs around with me and he just comes wherever I go. Jesus is awesome, that he's seated on the throne, he's majestic, huge, but yet wants to know us, wants us to know that reality by the power of the Holy Spirit. So when we pray, what we're doing is we're aligning our perspective to this huge reality that's found in God. That when we pray, we're recognising that Jesus is supreme over all things and that he is able to enter into our world because he's supernatural and he can supernaturally answer prayer. So we're to have a big view of God and his reality and we're up to understand that we're praying about his kingdom and not our own. Small view of God, big view of God. My kingdom, God's kingdom. It's about a big view of God and it's about his kingdom when we come to pray. Okay, just moving through the text briefly. So Philippians 4.6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Now, when we focus on a small view of God and a small view of life, what essentially what we want to be doing is to be in control. We want to be in control. We might even believe that there's an otherness to God, but it's like, I know that, but it's kind of a little bit risky. I kind of want to play safe. I want to do what I know. I want to kind of pray in a way that kind of, yeah, just small prayers. And uh, I'll, I'll just take it easy, God. I'll just kind of pace my way through life. I don't... Because if, if I'm opening myself up to the majesty and the hugeness of God, well, okay, that might be a bit scary. But Jesus didn't come to give us life in all its tidiness. Jesus came to give us life in all its fullness. 
And for some of us, it's almost like in our lives, we have such a small view of God that's so tidy. I just keep everything tidy. I just do this. I just go to church. I just kind of do that and be on the rotor for that. And I just keep God like this. And if I can keep you like that, God, then that would be great. And it's like we read in God's word that, you know, my cup overfloweth. Well, don't let the cup overflow. I might have to, might have to clean it up. I might have to clean the cup up. If it, and that's what it's like. That's a metaphor for that. If God comes and if I experience this kind of worldness of God, then suddenly, whoa, 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 rein it in, rein it in. I need to keep it tidy. I need to keep my view of God small. It's about my kingdom. But I, I want you to help God, but it's on my terms. And so what happens is it leads up to us becoming worried about things. And about us not offering and handing over the whole of our lives to God. So that God's not just interested in hearing about your prayers. Like, oh, you're lovely, Lord, and thank, thank you for the grass, and thank you for this lovely ice cream. I love Ben and Jerry's, and I praise you for that, Lord. And he wants to hear your cries, like Mark was saying. He wants to say, Lord, it's, this sucks, this is terrible. I'm grieving right now, I'm hurting right now. I need you to come and I need your peace to come in my life. And I'm struggling with this ill health. I'm struggling with stress. I'm struggling with these things. God, come, let your kingdom come. Come into this circumstance. I'm opening up to the reality of your kingdom, the openness of your majesty. And I'm asking that Jesus, you come. Come, come, come. Come into my life. And be part of the fullness of my life. But then we have a small view of God. Don't let my cup overflow. Keep it tidy. Keep it tidy. God might do something. God might do something beyond what you think. But we need, we need to lift our eyes to the giver of life. Do you not think it's really strange that like, often we try and deal with issues and problems in our life, in our own strength? But yet he is the God who is before all and, and, and eternal and massive and huge and otherly. And what I don't want to denounce is that for some of us life is hard because life can be hard. And one of the problems when we come to churches is that sometimes I think we're not helpful to each other because we want to present to each other that somehow our lives need to be tidy because we have a tidy view of God. But actually what we need to be saying is, listen, I'm really struggling here right now. I could do with your prayer. Or, you know, I'm rejoicing in this and I'd love to pray with you about how good... God has been this week but often we're kind of like well I'm going to church I need to get myself in this place because that person's in that place they're better than me they're more spiritual than me they know more about the Bible I'm going to come to church and and I have to act in a certain way that's not the way it is we come to church with our warts and all because we're saved by God's grace and he forgives us and takes us just as we are and when we bring our requests with thanksgiving worshipping him We can enjoy him and know him and know that he's eternal and he's not bound by linear thinking or our tidiness. You know, in my work with students, often I find there are many pastoral issues. And the pastoral issue most common is to do with relationships. And it's because you'll get a girl, for instance, who say, I want to be in a relationship. And she's like, my life is incomplete because somehow I'm not in a relationship. And it doesn't matter that I'm going to go out with this guy who's, who doesn't love Jesus and Jesus isn't the Lord of his life. I'm just going to, I need somebody. I need to be in a relationship. I just need somebody. And what that is about is about rejoicing and trying to find satisfaction in things other than God. Because ultimately for the believer, 
It says that we are married to Christ. We are wedded to Christ. So this morning, whether we're single, whether we're married or whether we're divorced, our ultimate satisfaction as we come and we pray to him and seek him is found in Christ. It's found in him. And sometimes people say, well, I'm struggling to pray. Have you ever had that or somebody said that to you? I'm struggling to pray. I don't know what to do right now. I think sometimes this is about a kind of blockage in our life, as it were, where we, we, we kind of sense a disappointment with God. There's a disappointment with God, and I hear it again in pastoral issues. People say, well, I'm disappointed because my boyfriend left me. I'm disappointed because my girlfriend left me. Or as we get older, I'm disappointed because I didn't get that job. Or I'm disappointed because I can't have children. Or I'm disappointed because I didn't get that promotion. Or I'm disappointed because these things are going on in my life. And what happens is we become disappointed. And then we become bitter. And as we get more bitter, we become bitter with God. And suddenly our relationship with God changes, not because he's moved away, but because we've moved away. And because what we see is the primary thing, and what fixates our mind uh, is this stuff, and we focus on stuff. And that stuff is not helpful in us coming to God and praying to him. Because when we come to God, we say, God, we recognize who you are. And my satisfaction will be found in you. I will rejoice in you. Whether these things happen or not, I will rejoice in you, Lord. I will rejoice in you. And we see a quick parallel with this in Matthew 6. It says to not worry about what we will eat or what we will drink or what we will wear, but rather to seek first the kingdom of his God, uh, of God and his righteousness. I don't know. I mean, I just found that amazing in preparing this this week. When you think about the otherness of God being outside of time and space and history, you think about the kingdom... It's like, whoa, okay, so we're to seek first your kingdom. So we're to seek first the otherness of God who is able to influence the situation we're in right now. We're part of his kingdom. We read in the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, and at the end of it says, your, your will be done, your kingdom come. So we're seeking the work of his kingdom, which is otherly in the present reality that we're in right now. So rather than worrying... Who of you can add a single inch to your life by worrying? We are to seek first the kingdom. And let me tell you, I don't think, that, that, I don't think at times that's an easy thing, is it? Because I wrestle with kind of thinking, well, if I do that, then I'm kind of in control. But if I pray and I ask the Lord and, and some other answer comes back to me, or he intervenes in a different way, well, that's really then not about me, it's about him. And we find that wrestling and that tension in our lives because we're praying about his kingdom coming and his will being done. Okay, we're moving to a close. So Philippians 4, 7. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So when we pray and we seek God and his kingdom, we will know his reality. And then this true peace will come and guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So where are we looking for joy? Where are we looking for peace? Where are we looking to find satisfaction in our lives? 
Well, if it's anywhere outside of God, it's like ashes in the mouth. Give it up, forget it. It's never going to bring you true peace, true hope. Drop it, forget it. It's a waste of time. We're only going to find true peace which transcends all understanding and that will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So when we pray and seek God in his kingdom, we will know this reality. Now, we, we often seek life elsewhere, don't we? Yet we find life in Jesus. Oh, this is good. This, this new project, this is good. This will bring me life. Or, or maybe this relationship will bring me life. Or maybe this kind of having 5,000 friends on Facebook will bring me life. No, it won't. It's ashes in the mouth. What will bring us life is Jesus. We find peace in our hearts and minds in Jesus, yet we often seek it elsewhere. Let's bring us back to the reality of, of the text that was at the beginning again, is that Paul was encouraging the church in Philippi to rejoice in the Lord despite persecution. So they, in many ways, were forced to pray we, in our culture, have got the luxury to say, oh, will I pray today? Yeah, maybe. Grab my latte, chuck a quick prayer up. But let me tell you, when I was in South Africa in October, I was meeting Christians, left, right and centre, who were facing persecution in this time-space reality that we know right now. Talked to an Iranian pastor, 25 years old, 25 years old, and he's a pastor. Come on, that, that in itself is a big deal. 25, an Iranian pastor. I said to him, what does it mean to be a pastor? Is it not a bit risky being a pastor in Iran? He says, oh yeah. I said, what happens? If you, what happens? He said, well, we could get arrested. Well, what happens then? I'll, I'll be put in jail. Or, or it's already happened once. And he has children. It already has happened once. And he has children. I was sitting in a table group of six people. People from different parts of the world. One woman from India called Rita. We're talking about what happens when we share the gospel in our culture. Rita says, well, when I share the gospel, so with my neighbours to the right and my neighbours who live to that side, I've done it a few times and, yeah, I've been beaten up a few times. And honestly, if you met Rita, she's like 40 years old, she's like a housewife, she's just really normal, yet she chooses to say that Jesus Christ came in order that we might have life. He died on the cross and rose again that we might be forgiven. And she takes a punch for it, literally. You speak to other people in Nigeria who faced their churches being burnt down. Who faced members of the family being killed. And you ask them, and say, well, do you think prayer is important? How's your prayer life? Of course they're going to be praying. Because Paul, in this situation... All he had was a prison cell where he could pray and he could rejoice in the Lord and the Christians in that time were facing persecution. Paul was encouraging the church to come with every situation in prayer with thanksgiving so that they would be shaped by his kingdom. And we need to rejoice and delight in the eternal God to know life in Jesus. And I sense even now, that even as we talk about this, that there's a tension in the room between us wanting to hold on to our lives, small life, small God, life in its tidiness, to big God, God's kingdom, the fullness of God. And let me tell you, it could be incredible 
if we all let ourselves go to the God, the huge God, of what he would do amongst us and in this community. It would be incredible if we surrender ourselves to the fact that he is in control and that we're not in control. It would be incredible to see, but yet we might face hardship and trials and difficulties, but yet we're going to see that God's kingdom will come and his will will be done. And I want to just, I think it's appropriate for us, just before the band come up and, and lead, to just have a time of stillness and to pray, because we've been talking about prayer in his kingdom, to pray in response to what God has been saying. So let's just be still before the Lord. Let's just be still before God for a moment or two. Father God, just as we are still before you, I just sense there's some of us here who don't yet know you, that we've not actually asked you to be our saviour or our Lord. That when we rejoice in the Lord, that means that we are to hand over control of our life to you, that you come and you live in us by the power of your Holy Spirit, because of Jesus' death on the cross. And I want to just ask now, in faith, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that for those of you here who don't yet know Jesus, I want to pray that the Holy Spirit would come like a light and would open your eyes and your ears to the reality that is found in God. And I just want to pray that right now. Holy Spirit, open eyes and ears right now. Right now. And maybe for some of you, if you're in that position, you're sensing that your eyes and your ears have been opened to the reality of the gospel that Jesus has come, he's died on the cross, and that you need to ask for forgiveness. And if that's you, you might want to pray with somebody afterwards, tell somebody afterwards. It says if you believe in your heart and confess with your lips that Jesus Christ is Lord, then you will be saved you will be forgiven. And maybe for some of us this morning, we sense that tension in our own lives of us trying to hold on to our life, do life our own way, and just tag a bit of Jesus on the end. I want to ask that, Father, you would fill us with your love, that in your word you've not asked us to actually do anything this morning, but you've asked us to rejoice in you. And I pray right now that you would come by the power of your Holy Spirit and that you would, you know, just sense what God is saying right now is that there are some of us here who are holding on to hurts in our life or issues in our life that we can't actually bring before the Lord. And what he's saying in his word is that by prayer and petition... We bring those requests to the Lord. And so for some of us this morning, as we in our hearts say, Lord, help me with this issue, help me with this problem, help me with this disappointment, that the Lord will bring a release of his freedom and healing to you right now.
So I want to pray right now for those of us here that have got disappointments, hurts, or anything that we feel we can't bring to the Lord. Just bring it to the Lord right now in your hearts and say, Lord, help me with this and fill in the gap. Help me with this, Lord. Help me with this. And as we do that, I believe right now the Lord is going to be bringing that healing of heart and mind to some of us here. For some of us, we might experience tears as we experience the reality of the love of the Father. For some of us, we might sense a joy just welling up right now in our hearts. We might just even sense it right now. It might even it'd be bursting. It might even feel like we might want to laugh because we're so full of joy. I pray right now, Lord, that your word is true, it is real, and that you will just speak clearly into our hearts and minds. God, help us to respond. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to respond as well, that we would seek prayer ministry, that we would seek to speak to somebody. Help us to respond to you, Lord. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen.